0: Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly, thanks for joining us, I'm R.A. McGee, joined by by who I always feel are the two best members of our trio. There's usually three of us, and I think three's superfluous number. I think that we can make do with Nick Thacker. Oh wait, nobody can see me
1: raising my hand. But That's me. <laughs> I'm
0: here. And Pippa Werner. Yo. Right on, right on. So we were chatting a little bit before the show, and I guess Dune is coming out pretty soon, right? Dune? yes, Pretty dang. Now, I will admit that I've never read it. I never watched the old movie. This is completely virgin territory for me. What should I be excited for about this movie? Pippa, you look very excited, so I should ask you first.
2: Honestly, it looks like it's actually a good adaptation of the book, and the past ones were... They were an experience. Let's just put it that way. But it looks really well done. It looks like it captures the feel of it, and... Mm -hmm. I would suggest Dune. It took me like three tries to get into it and now it's one of my favorite books. So what is
0: the elevator pitch of (laughs) the movie? Like what am I getting myself into? Because I'm gonna watch it, but I have no idea what I'm watching, other than that little like kind of might be a vampire kid is like the lead. (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I shouldn't go out in the sun. So interestingly, shouldn't go out in the sun kid becomes basically the leader of a rogue Bedouin tribe on Mm -hmm. a desert planet okay like all right yeah it's like, like interstellar rogue. politics on a small like all centering around this small planet thing
0: all right which, right on mm-hmm. right on hey i like rogue factions of things so that's always good nick
1: any words of advice for me before i watch it the music is incredible mm. so as we were talking before the show i'm like really really close friends with Hans zimmer who did the movie and uh, he does What he calls a sketchbook. I don't know why you guys Mm -hmm. are cracking up and laughing at that. That's an actual (laughs) objective factor. Um, But he releases like his sketchbook on YouTube. I don't know if he releases it on YouTube, but ends up on YouTube. But it's essentially his the way he composes is he'll just write. Like stream of consciousness music for like 20 hours or something stupid. And then, like, his assistants will help piece together parts that actually make sense. And then he'll go back and like recompose those for the movie. So, anyway, he's testing different sounds and he's testing different synthesizer effects and melodies and things like that. And so, his sketchbook is like, it's great.
2: Which is how knowing that he does things that way makes a lot more sense that the Pirates of the Caribbean theme shows up in the Gladiator soundtrack.
1: Okay, so that one's a little tricky. He actually didn't compose Pirates of the Caribbean. That was Klaus Badelt. Yeah, was it was.
2: But that theme um, is like dead on in the Gladiator. So
1: theme. my assumption is that Klaus <laughs> was borrowing heavily from the Gladiator soundtrack. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Gladiator was first, right? It was Gladiator, and then Pirates. yeah, mm-hmm. Hans did do the second, third, fourth, whatever movies of Pirates, but very similar theme. And I think he sure. was
2: part of the first.
1: Well, he was an under movie. Klaus was an understudy of Hans. Hans runs a studio in L.A. that's like a revolving door of professional composers. He has a bunch of guys that come work with him. And Hans is very quick to give other people the credit. So there's a good chance that Hans did do all of the music for Pirates, but then just gave credit to Klaus. But anyway, both good dudes. I'm best friends with both of them and uh, Mm. good people.
0: So is the reason... The reason that you don't work with them—that your name is not like German or Austrian enough, Nick. It
1: is. If I was, if I, so I'm actually more German than I am English. Oh, okay. Oh, shut <laughs> up. Uh, but yeah, if I went back to my like Scandinavian roots, yeah, I could call you like Dang. Let's Mi- not skip over this. Actually, Nikolaj. Nick,
2: how much English blood do you
1: have? <laughs> well, I've only killed a few Englishmen, and their blood <laughs> is on my hands. But most of my blood that courses through my veins is Viking, Scandinavian. Mm. But you can call me Nicklaus if you want. I Nicklaus. will call you that when you're talking to
0: Hans at the next conference. I'm gonna walk up and be like, Niklaus, how are you? And then he'll be like, Oh, we're brethren. And then you're in. Oh, we are friends, huh? <laughs> well, that's more of our age All than right, I I that's <laughs> you sound like you were dubbing a, a Jackie Chan movie, dude. <laughs> well, we
1: just finished uh, Squid Games. So it's kind of You know, Koreans on my mind, I guess. I dig it, man. I dig it.
0: Well, good times, guys. Good times. All right. So since we are done talking about Dune, which I will watch (laughs) when it comes out and the next intro that we have, I'll go thumbs up or thumbs down from my Mm. plebeian point of view. Since we are done, let's take some time and get into the news.
1: Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. I composed yes. that, too, by the way. Yes, I think Hans we should send it probably. to Hans. Hans, We should listen proud? to it again. Do it again.
0: Wait a minute. Are you sure Hans didn't compose oh. that and just give you credit for it? He might have. He happened. gave
2: Nick credit. <laughs> Very generous.
0: Heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. All right, guys. So first off, <laughs> we have a story from the BBC and Nick's homeland. And mm. it is called Booksellers. Hope soaring sales will continue as we read more. It's by someone named John T. Bloom. This woman in the article has a very nice nose. Mm. I don't know why. Very nice mm. nose. Good for her. All right. So it, it's got the little like kind of turn, like the little upturn thing. Yes. People pay a lot of money to get that, to get that in plastic surgery. So good for her. Let's see, they're saying that the coronavirus lockdowns gave many of us a lot more time to read. As a result, sales of physical books rose strongly. Some 202 million paperbacks and hardbacks were sold in the UK in 2020. Honestly, I think that's a staggering number for just the UK. I had no idea they would sell 200 million paperbacks. So what do you guys think about this? And I think if I'm remembering from what Nick has said before, This is not them tracking indie books because we don't all have ISBNs that they track Nielsen. Have you noticed any trend with your own paperbacks
1: going up during the pandemic? I haven't, but that's probably because I don't really track my paperback sales very well. They exist, and I just kind of hope for the best with most of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm probably the best one to say one way or another if they went up. I feel like... I think collectively they have, but I would say this about my personal career. I have had Hell on Earth for the last year personally. Mm -hmm. And so professionally, I haven't done anything. So it's been like a year since I've released a book and my sales have been steady. What that tells me is one, my ads are working, but really, I think more people read overall. Like I had a lot of people who would read my books who wouldn't otherwise have this past year. Mm. I guess what I'm saying is if there wasn't a pandemic and people weren't reading more, I imagine my sales would have gone farther down rather than stayed the same. Okay. Well, who knows?
0: I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Why are you asking me this question? Between the spectacles and the beard, you definitely should be playing a scientist on television. So I was going to play
1: a neck beard in the basement on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Eh, your lines too high to be a neck beard, dude. You're Oh, well, that's television. just cuz it's been freshly shorn. <laughs> right on. You
2: need a fedora.
0: I do. I need a Fedora. That's probably and then me. you tip it whenever Pippa comes on screen, Milady. Lady. <laughs> <M'lady. laughs> all right, Pippa. You? <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed any trend with your own paperbacks at all over the last year? Kind of going up at all, or have they been the same?
2: No, because I have been sadly remiss on anything re- involving paperbacks since Create Space was a thing when I still didn't get all of my stuff done. So.
0: Mm -hmm. Um so you're saying you don't don't have you don't have a lot of your books formatted for a paperback?
2: No, I don't. I even got the vellum thing. It would be easy. I just don't effing do it. And now create space is nothing. Any I don't know when I need to do Ingram and it's just a clusterfuck.
0: Mm, I need to do Ingram.
2: I keep not doing it though.
0: Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. You know, I'm normally pretty good about putting out a book. You know, I get the ebook done first and then, you know, I'll do the print the next day or two but i had a couple of books that i just forgot to do the paperback and you know i had a book bub maybe two or three months ago and i was like all right i want to make sure everything's tight and i'm good to go so i can prime my selling opportunities and i'm like Mm -hmm. where are these paperbacks at (laughs) and so then i'm chasing down my cover guy and i'm like dude i need help and he's like you need help for sure so (laughs) all right well you know what i think it's great that a lot of paperbacks are selling And good for trad people. And I hope that uh, we get a little bit of bleed over on the indie side. So good stuff. Good stuff. Let's go to the next story. It is by written word media. And before, okay, listen, since Jim's not here, I think I feel a little bit more compelled to stray off topic a little, you know, sometimes (laughs) when I want to get off topic, I feel Jim's piercing gaze, just staring at me like. Get yourself together, R.A. You know, (laughs) I think you guys know what I'm talking about. But maybe you guys can go here with me. What on earth does this picture on this written word article have to do with reaching the bestseller list? The title is Reaching the Bestseller List, A Guide for Self-Published Authors by Clayton Noblet. The picture is a very nice autumn scene of a young woman on a bicycle, towing a cart with a pumpkin, and an old grandma in a wheelchair.
2: Fucking autumnal, R.A. She's reading a book.
1: (laughs) The grandma's got a miniature little book in her hand that you can barely see. So that's a bestseller that she's reading, I assume. No, she's the bestseller list, and the pumpkin (laughs) laden girl is the self-published author, and she's trying to reach the best-seller list, Grandma. Oh, oh sure. Man. And the pumpkin represents all of her expectations that are weighing her down? It does, yeah. It's expectations weighing her down, but the girl, hair in the wind, smile on her face, she represents hope, and she's pedaling very, very rapidly toward this grandma, and grandmas represent irrelevance and things <laughs> that we shouldn't care about. And so she's the bestseller list for that reason, and the hope is drifting toward irrelevance. Dude. See?
2: Hope well, is drifting um, towards a to relevance.
1: Yeah, did you like that? Yeah. It was come to
2: ANW for your daily I know,
0: <laughs> I know. It reminds me of have you guys seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Mm-hmm. Where they're ripping on the guy whose name is face and they go, Your name is face And he goes, mm. It's metaphorical. <laughs> you know, this picture is very metaphorical. So, in any event, all right. So, this article is titled Reaching the Best Seller List. A Guide for Self-Published Authors. Uh, and it says, For authors, landing on a Beck bestseller <laughs> book list can feel like receiving a fabled Willy Wonka golden ticket, direct access to the promised land. In a world of bestseller lists, though, there are no chocolate waterfalls, just millions of readers to be reached. So it goes through what makes things a bestseller, can I self-published book be a bestseller, all these things. Now, I'm going to get down here because without tooting our our horns, I think we're all bestsellers on the podcast right now. I will admit right, that they list, we explain the five biggest bestseller names listed in order of easiest to most challenging to get on. Number one is the Amazon bestseller list. And that's where I get on this conversation and immediately get off Mm. because I've had the number one little orange tag in all my categories a bunch of times. But that's really about it. And I don't get any of these other cool ones. So, Pippa, I know you've got the Amazon bestseller tags before.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. It's mostly otherwise books that I've ghostwritten. Like, really? Those I've hit major lists with, but not my mailing list.
0: <laughs> mm, man, I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> so then Pippa is higher, but she's not allowed to talk about it. Because of NDAs and stuff, I'm not higher because I'm not awesome. Nick is higher because he is a. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Don't remind me! Don't remind me! Don't remind me! You're a USA Today bestseller, Nick. That's right. As he Correct. looks with a very stern face. That used to be in the contract. I had to say USA Today bestseller, but then you told me I didn't have to anymore. So I
1: Nick that. USA Today best-selling author of the Harvey Bennett series, Mason Dixon thrillers, and various other sci-fi media thacker <laughs> it was the uh, agreed upon contractual i know i know and you're, you're so good to me that you don't hold
0: me to that man i really appreciate well that. don't i wouldn't recommend checking your lawyer's mail anytime soon but you're, that's okay.
2: you're racking up the fines um,
0: yeah jeez yeah, man jeez now i'm gonna get a season's assist all right so in any event all jokes aside okay these bestseller lists yada 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 now i think that there are probably a lot of people that listen to this who haven't hit it any of them at all do you guys think that they're important and if they are important what steps would you take other than like get a book bub or something uh, to get onto these bestseller lists nick what do you got for us man
1: well there are bestseller lists that are based on sales and there are bestseller lists that are based on i don't know good vibes and whatever you know favors i think the last two fit that (laughs) that latter category amazon certainly is about sales on amazon USA Today is about sales on Amazon Plus, which means anything Amazon, including at least I think one other bookstore or two other bookstores. So there's some hacking to do here. Like you got to figure out, first of all, USA Today, I believe does a list from Tuesday through Friday or Monday through... There's oh, Tuesday days,
2: through... Um, Tuesday, right? Tuesday through yeah. Monday.
1: So you want to have your big sale hit on Tuesday.
2: Mm-hmm, so you can,
1: you know, You don't want to split it between Monday and Tuesday because you're splitting it between two different weeks, right? They do it every single week. So... I've hit the USA Today list, but it was, I'm 120th of a USA Today bestselling author because there were 19 other authors in our box set. So there's ways to do it. You know, if you're really wanting to get your letters here, you know, go do some Googling and find the people doing box sets. That's all I'll say about it. We could do a whole episode on it. There used to be some scamming involved with this. I got into it right around the time there was a big class action lawsuit. Sorry, it was not a class action, a big lawsuit. And there's a big stink. And I was kind of worried because it was right in the middle of all this. Some mutual friends of ours were brought in as like witnesses for this shit. And so I was really worried I was going to be like an accessory to murder or something. (laughs) But it all kind of blew over as most things inevitably do when people find the next shiny object to pay attention to. And what we're left with is still the ability to get on these lists by sort of hacking your sales. Now, it turns out that pretty much all of these lists can be hacked depending on who you know and what you know and how much you sell and. If you buy How many it, of your own books you're able to buy? Yeah, if you buy 50,000 copies of your own book, then you get to be on a bestseller list. Woohoo! So there's a little bit of gaming and scheming and stuff involved. Amazon's pretty pure because you just can't really do that with Amazon. Now, that may not help much because I don't know who's looking at these charts going on. I'm going to just read you know, the top 100 books on Amazon's top charts. So I guess what I'm saying is if you want your letters, if you want the vanity play, go for it. If you're just worried about sales and making money, I would focus on literally anything else.
2: Bank over rank. <laughs>
1: Bank over rank, people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Pippa, do you have anything to add on to there? You know, when you first start, these are the kind of things that maybe you yeah. think about and stuff, you know? And then as you get older in the game, not older for life, but, you know, older in the game, you start to think about things like bank over rank and not really caring about where you watch yeah. and stuff like that. So where's your take on all that?
2: I'd say based on a lot of the people that I know, you should go out of your way to have nice steady sales and never get too high profile because your life is about to become way busier and more anxious. Mm. And that's one of the things that comes along with bestseller titles. Mm. Uh, A
0: cautionary tale. Like, what do you mean? You don't have to get specific, but.
2: Like there's a couple of different cautionary tales. One is someone whose first book hits the bestseller lists and was very widely read like there were comic strips about it there were like in internet big internet comics there were all sorts of things and so i was in a group with this person Mm. and they were doing all sorts of advice and this that and the other thing and here's all you have to do and blah 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 blah. and then their second book came out and like did not and it was this sort of oh great now everything else is going to feel like a letdown to you I haven't heard very much from them recently. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, simply people that are just like, I may or may not respond to your email ever. I'm snowed mm-hmm. under all the time. You can catch high blood pressure from standing near me. Mm-hmm. Like So I would focus on doing a whole bunch of books, hitting the market right with those books. If you keep climbing up into the tree with the lightning rod, eventually lightning will strike Mm-hmm. but view this as something that comes to you as a sort of a tail end success than something you need to get in order
0: to be making a living at this. Yeah. I dig that. I dig that. It's a result of the process, so to speak. Yeah. All right. I dig it. I dig it. Well, thank you for your input, fellow bestsellers of mm. <laughs> fellow mm. bestsellers. Yes. Committed All to right. your success. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Next up. <laughs> We have a kind of an interesting little story here. It is from lithub.com, and it's 10 excellent storytelling tips for writers from How I Met Your Mother, uh, written Uh. by someone named Katie Yee. So I can tell by the disgusted groan, you're not a How I Met Your Mother fan?
2: I am, and I still feel betrayed by that ending.
0: Yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. It's kind of almost like unreliable narrator the whole time. Mm
2: Kind of. It was like, it could have been a really good idea, but the way they pasted in at the end was just like ridiculous. Um, You've also got a small blonde head coming in to say hi. Uh, Can you wave? Okay. It's just, uh, that one was a pacing issue for me. Yeah. But I do agree with some of the things that they have in the.
0: Okay. Well, let's go down the list here. Okay. So their first advice is be really, really specific with dates and locations. Know your timeline. Agree or don't agree as a collective unit?
2: I think that's more for like a long running story where you have to keep weaving things in. And even some of that didn't make sense in How I Met Your Mother, but.
0: Okay. Nick, what do you think? How much do you pay attention to that? How specific do you get? Because I was talking to another author not too long ago. And we were talking about like timelines and dates and stuff. And I said, I tend to be kind of general with things because, you know, eventually like I'm going to have to keep like aging my character up and I don't really want to do that. So I kind of make things specific and it could be any time that he's doing these actions. What do you think
1: about that? I do think for my thrillers that it makes my books better when I have and list specific places and times and dates. It does immediately date your book. So if you're writing, you know, oh, this is going to be a futuristic thriller set in 2023, well, somebody's going to read it in 2024 and it's going to kind of lessen the experience for them. It's just the way it is. So, a lot of times authors will not do the date thing. I've actually done this thing where I'll do the location and the date but not the year. Mm. So, just so people can get an idea of how much time has passed between each scene.
2: It's also nice for thrillers because it gives you that, it's like the visual waiting technique where the camera focuses behind the character and you're like, oh God, what's coming? Like if you're giving me the date, what's coming next type. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Right on. All right. So what we'll do is we'll go to number two and then I think maybe we'll break these up so we don't spend the rest of forever on these. But let's see. Creative, wait for it, anticipation. Give your character something to keep an eye on. Perhaps your plot is hurtling toward a tragedy or a big family dinner. Perhaps there's a character with a fear early that will come back to haunt them, like, you know, Chekhov's gun type situation. Leaving breadcrumbs is fun for you as the writer, and it's, you know, readers feel super smart when they get to say, I knew it. So this seems pretty normal, right? Like uh, tension. I think maybe I would call this tension instead of anticipation. And we all are in agreement that that's a pretty uh, solid thing to use, right? Yeah. Yeah
2: anticipation can be good though i think that's one of my favorite pieces of advice for baby authors is like don't have the big twist uh um, you were
0: taking baby authors seriously <laughs> you have a baby a baby author in the room with you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't have your big twist be a surprise to the reader only to the protagonist
0: i gotcha i gotcha so, so make sure you're yeah. seeding it in there along the way yeah before it hits okay all right
1: nicolaj yeah, I agree with this one. I mean, in the stuff I write, if you don't have anticipation, in other words, situational irony or something that dynamic irony, something the reader can know is coming that maybe the characters don't, the book is a lot weaker. So, I feel like this is a big one for thrillers at least. Okay
0: actually, you know, maybe I will do the next couple, one of these. All right. Don't be afraid to play with narrative framing. The whole premise of how I met your mother as a father sitting down with his kids to tell him the incredibly long winded story of his love life. So we already have the outer framework as a story consciously told. Now, do you guys ever do anything specifically unique with the way you frame the narrative in your books? I mean, what could you do? That's very play with the narrative structure, so to speak.
1: So I did this in my work in progress right now. I usually write in close third person each chapter so I can change, narr- change point of view. I can have different characters. I can get in the mind of the villain, for example. For the first time in my Harvey Bennett series, I have one character written in first person. Mm. It's really weird, but it's supposed to be weird. And so I'm hoping I'll pull it off. I'm interpreting this question as narrative framing in that way. Uh, that's one, probably one of many. But that's one thing I'm doing. Don't know if it's going to work or not. Maybe all my readers will disappear overnight, but I'll let you know. Well, if so, you can probably just take them back from Jim
0: because I know you've given him a lot of them. Uh, That's because true. of, yeah, most of the, all know, his readers are mine. They're actually. complaining. They're mine. When they complain to you, you give them to the Jim, and I know maybe he'll give them back. So let me ask, what is your, you know, I mean, you can bury the lead if you want, but what is your purpose for doing these chapters in first person? Is uh, the person super mm-hmm. evil or crazy or something? You're no. trying to shoot their mindset?
1: I'm trying to hide the fact that he's the main character that we all know and love. And he's like been drugged out of his mind and hidden in a prison for nine months. Oh. Um, and so he's, you're like, who is this guy? Like, have no idea. It's completely different, written a completely different way. You've never really gotten in his head this much because it, you know, it's first person. I mean, it's different, but I wanted to call attention to the fact that it was different without calling attention to why I guess is. the, mm. is the So yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, we'll see if it works out. Okay. I'm intrigued now. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm going to skip number four because that doesn't sound cool at all. All right. We'll do number five. We'll do our last one for number five. It says, if you have a character that's starting to feel stagnant, introduce a wildly surprising background. Now, I don't necessarily know that that's something that we would do in a single book because, you know, like Pippa had mentioned, How I Met Your Mother takes place over multiple seasons. So you have a lot more info you're tracking and a lot more backstory you're tracking. But maybe, does this ever figure into your guys' longer series? Like, where can I move them or put them so I kind of shake up the dynamic? Maybe like prison, where they're drugged
1: out of their mind or something? I mean, is that the reason why you did that, Nick? Or You
0: just um, you know, never thought it was, it was the move?
1: You know, I don't often get writing instinct. I'm an outliner, I'm a plotter, you know? So if I do get something that I feel strongly about, I try to do it. Follow my gut. Like I said, I've been wrong before, but you know, whatever, it's okay. I don't care. Okay, right on. Well, I will do.
0: We'll do one more from here, and then we'll let you. <laughs> if you guys want to read this stuff, if you're listening, go for it. But uh, I'm not going to go through all these. But I think this one is actually pretty helpful for writers in general. Number eight. It says uh, when you manage to make two totally disparate storylines converge, it is immensely satisfying, and I think that you know. Definitely in the thrillers and also in the sci-fi and the fantasy, we're usually tracking multiple groups of people and multiple storylines that we have to converge. What's your guys' is just off-the-cuff trick for kind of making sure everything runs together at the same time and it all makes sense?
1: I don't know about tricks, but I will say that I think in my books I do this a lot. Like there's a villain or there's some off kind of off-camera stuff happening uh that you don't know how they're related to the main character. I think that the reader Without realizing it, or even if they do realize it, they're trying to make the connection uh, from from moment one. And the challenge is then to subvert that expectation. So they will converge, but I, I'm going to try to find a, a way to do it that they wouldn't, the reader would not have guessed. You know, so if I have an off scene character who's pumping a bunch of people full of some drug, um, and then that's happening throughout the book while the main character is doing something else, the obvious thing is oh, well, the main character or somebody on the good guy's team is going to get pumped full of this same drug um, at the end, and that'll be the climactic scene that has to break out. How can I make that completely wrong? How can I change that expectation and still be true to the narrative? I don't know how to do that. It's different in every book, but I think that's what happens is we expect these storylines to converge that's how you tell stories. It's complex storytelling, but it's basic storytelling at the same time. So I would say in just about any kind of book, even literary fiction, which nobody should ever read, try to do that. Try to subvert that expectation. You know, how do you take the obvious and make it a surprise? That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Knives Out, for instance.
1: Yes. That was so good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That one was
0: really good. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, anybody got anything else to add? We'll cut this article. How I Met Your Mother is great. This article is pretty good, but it's a little long like the show was, so we're not going to talk anymore about it. Uh, (laughs) You you guys got anything to add? We're coming up to a pretty good time here. I don't think I'm good. Nothing? Okay. Well, Jim, if you're listening to this, you may or may not get your job back next week. Things went pretty good. I don't know. So we'll have to take a vote amongst ourselves and see if you're still I'm so worried
2: that you and Jim are going to throw me a nick out when we're in Vegas
0: oh yeah i'm just gonna be like listen i'm like uh i'm just like who side with whoever whoever's in power i'm on your side man you know you guys will come back after vegas and it's gonna be like why are craig and kevin in here eh, no reason no reason so we've right, always guys. had five people <laughs> this, is, this is normal Always can you, yep. can you guys send me the link for the show today yeah 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 you. You. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys well For all of us at Author News Weekly, including the missing Jim Heskett, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.